Chalo. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm uh, booking a fundraiser for... All right, b before we start with anything, you need to know that I'll play your fundraiser, but you still have to pay us. Um, if I have to pay you for the people you bring to the fundraiser, then uh, how do we raise funds? That, that really sounds like a you problem. Wait, wait, wait. Do you know what a fundraiser is? Buffalo, New York, the 22nd worst place to live in the United States. Suck it, St. Louis. It's the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast. Welcome to the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast, where we talk about the ups, downs, Lefts, rights, and holographic lead singers, the only ones that won't try to sleep with your sister, of the Buffalo music scene. Uh, I'm Ryan Gurnett, and I've discovered that most of the facts on the internet aren't real. What? And I'm Will Webb. According to our Instapoll, 87% of our listeners agree with that. Well then, on today's episode of the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast, we are going to play part two of our interview with Animal Cannon. We're going to talk about that one guy's performance at Mohawk Place on February 16th. We'll cover a slate of upcoming shows, play music by Days Ago, and a game of Real Not Real with video game music facts. But first, we're going to play you a track from local musician James Kibbe. This was recorded a couple years ago. It's called Open Your Eyes on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast. Someone 
All right. So first, before we get into the podcast, um, I found an article from the Florida House Experience, which is a rehab group in Florida that had some amazing statistics. So I am here with Will. We are also joined by Brandon Sullivan, a.k.a. DJ Soyotos. Brandon, thank you for joining us for this brief, odd discussion about music festivals. Absolutely. No, it's a pleasure. It's absolutely a pleasure. So... Let's get let's get into these statistics. Some of them are perfectly fine. Uh, it says, where do you get your drugs from at a concert? 63% say a random drug dealer. 25% say a friend. 10% say your drug dealer. So you think that's about a 1 in 10 chance you're going to find your drug dealer at a festival? Well, yeah. Okay. If, so, if they're a career drug dealer, I mean... Then it says, before the festival, you get 54% from your friend, 30% from your drug dealer. How does 15% of people get their drugs from a dealer before the festival if the drug dealer is, is from the festival. This is How where, do they get it from the drug dealer if the drug dealer says, is attending the festival as well? It says, it says before the festival, 15% get, their, get, get it, their drugs from a random drug dealer from the festival. This is where the numbers start to fall apart. So, percent of respondents offered drugs broken down by genre of music festival. What do you guys think is the highest? Mm, I'm going to say ecstasy. No, 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 uh, the, the genre of music. Oh, the genre of music. Oh, um, uh, well, I was going to say anything psychedelic, Grateful Dead kind of stuff, and if not, then probably EDM. Brandon, what do you think? I mean, it depends on the genre that the drug would be prevalent. Um, no, well, well just, just uh, percent, this is percent of respondents who are offered drugs by, by genre of music. So what do you think, what genre of music do you think people are getting offered most drugs at through their festivals? I'm going to change my answer to strictly EDM, though, because I feel like <laughs> nobody at even Allman Brothers and Grateful Dead shows are, are uh, I don't want to say kind enough, but generous enough to give up so much of their weed. All right, well, here, here's what we got. 90% of people at jam band concerts claim they were offered drugs. 83% at EDM. 80 at mixed genres. 77% for rock. 74 for rap and hip-hop. This thing claims that 7 out of 10 people at country music festivals are offered drugs. Uh, what do you guys well, think about this? Uh, these numbers are starting to fall apart. I mean, this is, I mean, this isn't like old country shows. I'm, I'm, I mean, a lot of the newer country shows are younger people who are, you know, bringing the drugs with them, I think. And then... It's not your dad's country anymore. <laughs> this, the, the, this, is what, this is what I wanted to talk to everyone about. This is the percent of people who had unprotected sex while under the influence during the music festival. During the festival. During the festival. Unprotected sex? Unprotected sex. What what percent of people at an EDM festival do you think, according to this absurd is it research, Is it out of 100%? Yes, it is out of 100%. I'm going to say 82. You went crazy high. I did. 25%. This is 25%. Really? So I wanted to talk to you about this, uh, Soyotos, because... I've never been to an EDM festival. Is this is this happening? I mean, it, it depends on what time they took that at. Is this during the <laughs> festival, or is right. this like kind of four o'clock in the morning when? Oh, I think are going I, back to the tents. I, I think they're asking people after the festival. After, after the, the fact. festival, twenty-five percent. One out of every four. This says countries at twenty-two percent. What's number two? Country. 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 Yeah. Jam band is three. I can see jam band though, because like the drugs play into the inspiration, and it's kind of like an improv thing to begin with. This basically says that anyone at a music festival has a fourteen to twenty-five percent chance of having sex, and I don't know. Maybe I'm a rube or something. Is is this what happens? Like I've been to festivals, I have never had anyone offer me drugs or coitus. To be honest, well, you got to go to more country shows and more uh, jam band shows. That's the moral. Oh, here we go. I got top five lists for what drugs people are caught with the most. First off, what's DMT? It, it, it's a very, very trippy... It, it releases your own chemicals for dreams and out-of-body experiences. Damn. That's, that's, fi that's five. Speed is four. Opiates is three. Nitrous is two. DMT was number one? DMT was number five. And meth is number one. No. So not only are people offering... All these drugs and sex at these festivals. Apparently, meth is the most. Soyotos, back to you. Uh, EDM festivals. Are, are people doing that much meth? Well, I mean, according to statistics, uh, they're the hiding it pretty well. I mean, you would. How do people they, that do are they, meth are they, are they forge tickets to these? How shows? are they incorporating <laughs> meth though? Are they accounting ecstasy being cut with meth? 
or is it strictly men? They are. They, they they do not give specifics because that would make a difference. I mean, I've been to a lot, a lot of festivals, and never one time have I ever been offered meth. <laughs> like, I've been offered a plethora of other drugs, but never one time has anyone been Ow. like, "Hey, you want some meth?" That's never happened. <laughs> uh, apparently, you have uh, you have the highest uh, percent chance of overdose at an EDM festival. I can see that. The lowest is at a is at a. Uh, country music festival and then they give percentage of drugs not tested and they say of the drugs at Lollapalooza 96% of them weren't tested and apparently they're trying to offer people to buy drug kits to make sure their drugs are clean at festivals has anyone ever fucking heard of this I've heard of it I could see it being preventative however you're at a festival you're going to want to get the best bang for your buck. I don't see anybody just, like, pissing away half of it into a test kit. I mean, even then, like, like you got to bring out your test tubes, and who wants to do that at a festival? It seems like you'd... I don't know. I, maybe I'm just... That's all. I just Are those numbers ridiculous, or are those actually, like, realistic numbers? Because I thought they were crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess it depends. Kind of... I mean, like, it, I mean, I'm not part of the drug culture, so everything seems like it would be... Like, I would, I would, I would assume the worst, you know, because huh. I don't really do any drugs and yeah. uh you know i i'm probably in the minority with that like i, I wouldn't yeah you know so everything I, I just assume like well it's an edm festival every like 90 percent of the people there probably are doing drugs yeah. uh, that much sex jeez uh that was surprising was, yeah I've, that's actually I, I, surprising. i've been avoiding the wrong festivals i think well uh, that's i just i saw that and i thought the numbers were ridiculous and i wanted to talk to you guys about it doesn't it, say so. how many people are having protected sex though no it doesn't None of them. No, None of them. That <laughs> is like only unprotected. Yeah. Alright. Awesome. Well, cool. That's that. So that's also Brandon. Thank you for hey, joining thank us. You. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Facebook.com backslash DJ Soyotos. Yes, Instagram at DJ Soyotos. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks. All right, we are back with Danimal Cannon. Yo. Hey, Dan. So uh, you are just talking about um, how you got involved in video game music. Right. Um, things have changed a bit since you've gotten involved. If uh, Let's say I, I'm a 37-year-old man, and I'm really interested in getting into uh, making video game music. What, where do I go? Is like the Buff Buffalo game space the, kind of the best place for me to kind of go and try and stretch that muscle? That's actually a really great suggestion. Uh, okay. They have uh, seminars that they do uh, where you can learn everything from programming to graphics work to um, even music-related stuff. Uh, they have a host of really smart people there uh, sure. that you can ask those sorts of questions. And they run these things called Game Jams, which... Oh, I've heard of those. They're super cool. Um, I've had several of my like bigger projects end up becoming things from Game Jams. So where the Game Jam is... You do, like, a 24-hour sort of, like, coding and game-making marathon. The length varies, everything from, like, you know, 10 hours to a whole weekend or something like that. And it's just a a speed competition sort of thing, and you usually get a uh, topic. It's usually something pretty vague, like... Uh, watermelons, and that's that's a super dumb topic. But like now, you got to think about like, all right, I need to make a game about watermelons or implement the idea of a watermelon in some way. That's a really bad topic, but they have better ones. Oh, They're, my mind's racing already. <laughs> watermelon, right, ideas. right. And you're like, oh, cool, I can make a watermelon. <laughs> and uh, what happens is you end up making all these ideas that you never would before. You collaborate with people. Um, I haven't participated very heavily in game jams. I've done, like, a random track or two for someone's, like, oh, we need, like, you know, a level music for our game. And it's like, okay, cool, I'll I'll do something for you in, like, an hour or something like that. Sure. And uh, put together something for you. But that process, you end up collaborating with people that you never thought you'd collaborate with, whether and from different disciplines, too. You'll have to collaborate with artists, and you'll have to collaborate with programmers and audio guys, and you learn a lot about, like, hey, can you... Can you do this? And you're like, no, actually, you can. <laughs> um, you learn a lot about um, all the disciplines because games, kind of like movies, it's a mixed medium. Yes. And you have to be able to communicate with these other sort of uh, people. You, you don't just get to do what you do. You have to mm-hmm. think about at what everyone else is doing, too. So 
you know, when I'm writing, I have to think about, like, all right, my, I have to have seamless loop points. I have to make sure that my, you know, audio rate that I'm working at is, you know, good for film or is it good for this or that and the other thing. Um, there's other little sort of things to think about. And they'll ask you for things that you can't do or, or impossible to do because they don't understand your discipline. Sure. So it's a great way to meet people, to learn about what goes into making a game, and it's also just fun to make things. And oh, so, absolutely. Uh, games recently have sort of taken precedence or at least made themselves a force in the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of in the last 10 years or so, you can spin that into being I'm an artist in the, yeah. in the sort of medium of programming. I think that's awesome. It's super awesome. Yeah. And it's totally an art. In every single way, like, programming is an art. Absolutely. And, you know, for old fogies that don't, you know, know how to do things, there was a point in time people said, uh, video games are not art. And, is that uh, the Roger Ebert? Yeah, Roger oh, Ebert yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, of Penny Arcade, I think it was uh, Jerry Holkins said that, how can something composed of nothing but art be not art? You know, it's full yeah. of... Like visual art, it's full of music, it's full of you know exploration, design. You're literally synthesizing a world and physics and things around it. Like it's art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to go a little deeper into this tech yeah. with that. When you submit your music for these games, mm-hmm. uh, are you giving them like your master tracks so they can scooch things around if they want, or are you giving them like I know it's not as simple as like an MP3 file, or are you just giving them like one finished file that they work off of? Um, I'm usually giving them a finished file. Uh, generally, the guys who are implementing it aren't audio guys, and you know, having them having with multi tracks and things like that. Sure. Um, it's just more work than it's worth. It almost seems nice that they don't know how to do that because yeah. you get them to stay out of your stuff a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, what I will say in more complex games, there are th- something called like WYs, and I think there's another one that's software specifically designed for audio and programmer people to sort of implement sounds in games. So, for example, you can have that integrate with your engine, and you can have it say, all right, when you go into the cave, we're going to add a slight bit of reverb to all mm-hmm. the tracks or something like that. And you can set, like, a slider bar that goes, you know. Sure. Um, and there's lots of little things like that where you can essentially combine the medium of programming and audio and together and it's called WYs and you have to go get a certification for it and uh, that's mostly a triple A title if you're if sure. you're in like the bigger bigger like if you play Dark Souls you know they probably use something like that in order to use more complex audio effects and sure. really implement them in a in a nice way uh, I actually have never used it and most of my friends uh, have not actually use it, even some of the bigger composers that I know. But I know that it is a thing. You can go get certification for it. You can go to school for it. Um, It's cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to know it. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been featured in, like, I think I saw the list on Wikipedia. It's like 30 games or so at least, right? Yeah. Uh, Of all the games that you've been a part of, what are your favorites? So there's a game that came out this year called Just Shapes and Beats, and that was actually born out of a game jam in uh, probably 2014 or so. And so the short story is I played a, uh, a show at the Game Developer Conference uh, in 2015, 2014. It was an after party, and everyone in attendance, or almost everyone in attendance, was a game developer. They saw me play, the developers of this. They bought the CD, and then they were went home, and they're like, I need to make a rhythm game based around this. And awesome. so they did a game jam, and they made a level based around my track, Kronos, that I wrote with a guy named Chris Panner, Zeph. It's off my second album, and maybe you can play that afterwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Um, and they decided to make a level. Um, it's like a bullet hell rhythm game kind of thing. It's nice. A, yeah, it's a bullet hell level that sort of responds musically. It's very scripted. Is it almost kind of, I mean, does it kind of have a similar feel to like sound shapes, at least, in the way the music's integrated? I'm not familiar with that game. Oh. So the answer is that? maybe. I feel smart about something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but, uh, uh, sound shapes actually... Uh, um, amongst, they used a lot of artists. Uh, the most impressive, they worked with Beck a bit. And okay. The levels moved to the music, and it's... Beck is super creative. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, you're saying. Uh, so, uh, I played the show. Um, they were like, this is cool as heck, and we're going to make a game about it. And so a couple years later, they're like, oh, we want to license a bunch of tracks from me. So they ended up using seven tracks of mine as like different levels in the game, and then they had me compose 
you know, the menu music, a bunch of the maps, and because there's like a big story mode, uh, some of the fanfare that happens when you beat a level, and things like that. So that game came out this year. It actually got nominated for a bunch of awards, like the Golden oh. Joystick Award for audio. I think oh wow! It got nominated for some other C. Uh, I can't remember the name of the award, but it got nominated for best narrative just just uh, the other day. Um, uh, what platforms is it on? It's on Steam and Nintendo Switch, and then probably is coming to the PS4. Like, how much is it on PSN? And I uh, I couldn't tell you when, but it'll happen. How excited were you when your music got featured at E3? So it, that's that's a bit of uh, a bit incorrect, actually. So, oh, oh, so you, I actually you weren't excited at all. Is that <laughs> <laughs> So, um, at E3, um, I actually did not compose any music uh, for Devolver's E3 video conference, which is essentially a short film. It's like sure, a 25-minute yeah. absurdist poke at what conference uh, presentations are. Was it John Matz, I believe, did all, all the music for it? And there's just a couple short musical cues. I did all of the audio processing and all of the sound effect dubbing, of which there was hundreds of them, because mm-hmm. it was essentially a 25-minute short film. Yeah. Um, and so I did all of the film audio kind of... Peop- I did air quotes, but we're on a podcast, so they can't say <laughs> do that. Um, I did all the film audio stuff outside of the music. Um, and there's only a couple small musical cues. So I didn't compose for E3. I just did audio work for it. I engineered okay. a, the recording. Um, and uh, it was a ton of work. It took me like 13 hours to do it. Uh, and it had to be done the next day. Oh. Yeah. The reason I got the job, actually, is somebody backed out at the last minute. Something came up, and they're like, this has to be done tomorrow because it has to go on air. And so, Does that get a rush fee, or are you just so happy you're doing that work that you kind of just go with it? Um, it paid, all right. And, and, um, sure. and also, I like challenging myself. Um, I like getting a job where I don't know if I can do it. I think I can, and it really pushes me. Um, I need a kick in the ass once in a while. I'm not the most motivated person in the world all the time. I wish I was. Sure. But for me, having a deadline is amazing. I need that, and I'm at my best when I have a, a tough deadline. Sure. I pull things out of <laughs> my ass. Um, uh, you played MAGFest. Yes. Recently. What is MAGFest? For so those MAGFest around? is the Music and Gaming Festival. It just happened last weekend in Washington, D.C. Okay. And uh, so there's anywhere between twenty or 25,000 people who attend and it's a giant music festival and convention that has everything from, you know, like 100 concerts happening at it and uh, panels from everything related to sort of like games, uh, anime fandom, or uh, even there's audio panels. There was literally a panel on compression settings that I could have attended if I <laughs> wanted to that my friend Michael was running. It's really the place in the world that I feel at home. Because it's all the things that I am condensed into one little weekend. And it's gigantic. It's a big party. Um, It happens in the Gaylord Convention Center slash hotel. What you do is you go down to the concerts and then you just walk up to your room, go have a bunch of beers. So nice. And then you come back down for the next concert, (laughs) you know. Oh, my God. I think every festival should be in a hotel now. Yeah, it's... At first, you're like, this is kind of weird that we're having a concert in a hotel. And then you're like, never mind. This is... I, I, I live off of naps. So the idea that I could go see a band, go up to a room and take a nap, and then come back down, I think I think I'm going to have to revolutionize the way we attend concerts. Yeah, it's a good... It's the way to go. So what's the end game for what you do? As Would you prefer to be doing the live performances? Would you prefer to just be a studio musician? Like, What's like that level of success when you're doing exactly what you want? What is that doing for you? So um, my current career business plan, the way they have it like planned out in my head, is the shotgun blast approach where I do a bunch of different things, see what sticks, and then kind of focus my efforts into that. So... If I end up achieving more sort of success um, with traveling and touring and stuff like that, I will put more effort into that. If I get more composing jobs, composing jobs tend to pay a little bit better. Um, sure. And you get to stay home. I mean, I like traveling. I like going and seeing places, although I have seen a lot of the world now and most of America and Canada and Mexico and stuff like that. So I've gotten a little of the travel bug. Whatever works, you know, uh, I might end up doing, you know, post-production work where I'm just editing dialogue on podcasts, you know, and if that's the job that works, cool. And then I can go focus my efforts on doing whatever dumb little thing I want to do. I've managed to achieve a little bit of success in each one of those things in a very both healthy and unsatisfying way um, where you kind of wish you could just 
break through on one of them and have that clear path. Sure. But it also makes me better in that I have to know how to do a lot of different things. It, kind of like a Swiss army knife when it comes to, sure. like, I can travel and tour, but I can also, you know, go and compose for something or I can do post-production work or something like that. And it helps me diversify my income. It's not coming from one source and things like that. And I don't know, boring economics. Oh, no, no. I think that's actually, I think that's super smart. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people will graduate from college with a music degree saying, well, I'm going to be a sound guy. Right. Or I'm going to be a producer. But it's you really need to kind of get out there and see what you right. can do to stick because it's not always what you're best at even that ends up being the thing that you do. Right. Sometimes you just end up getting a lucky break in one area or another, and that's just kind of the way it branches out. So I, 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 I'm also a part of the shotgun approach as well. That's, right. What I will say is every time I think I've got – life figured out and I'm like oh I'm going to be doing this next like I went to school and got a degree in genetics and was working in a lab and then I was like well actually I'm going to go do music now um, like if I had to predict where I'm going to be five years in the future I was wrong every time I'm going to predict that you use your genetics degree and instead of playing with Game Boys you make an army of Danimal cannons that play behind you That'd and be that sweet. is this is Sid the Kid and you're listening to allwny.com Will, have you been on any, any shows the last couple weeks? I haven't, actually. It's been kind of a uh, uh, back-to-work kind of a couple weeks for me, so I haven't been able to get out too much. Yeah, February is a slow time for music. Um, I was lucky enough, I got to go see that one guy at Mohawk Place. Oh, nice. Um, it was the second time I got to see him. Uh, if you're not familiar with that one guy, he has built this, I forget what he calls his instrument, it's a giant apparatus with, um, there's foot pedals and finger triggers and there's two parts with strings uh that pl play like a cello or a string bass there's video screens um i i can never give justice to like the wackiness of everything that goes on at his shows um it has a weird al meets frank zappa kind of feel to what he does so uh you gotta kind of kind of have the hippie crunchy crowd there you got the the jam band kids kind of hanging out and um it was a good show it wasn't. I've seen him. I've seen him better, and I, I. He was actually reusing a little bit, a lot of the video footage from the last couple of years when I saw him. So I was hoping for some new stuff, but uh, he played some new material, and it was a really cool night. And awesome. um, so that's all we got for previous shows. Um, since I only talked about a not local band that I can't really play the music from. So next up, we're gonna play a song called FJD by Cardboard Homestead. Uh, this is on their new EP called, I believe, The Bronze Tapes. It was released a couple days ago. Um, so FJD stands for Fuck John Denver, which uh, if it's a take on Goldfinger's Fuck Ted Nugent, I'm, I'm super happy with that. That's a, an all-time favorite of mine. Um, just a fun story about this. Uh, Cardboard Homestead was supposed to play the Festivus show I ran back in uh, December, and we just got crunched for time, and they were nice enough to say, like, if, if this is a problem, we just won't play. And I said, I'd love to see you guys, but that's okay. And then Ian says, I want to play just one song. And he plays Fuck John Denver, which, like, the first 20 seconds is him making fun of Country Roads. And uh, unbeknownst to him, the band that he played right in front of was closing with Country Roads that night. Aww. And he had no idea. And uh, I just thought that was hilarious. So it's, it's fun. It's cool. It's uh, the best recordings I've heard yet from Cardboard Homestead. So here is FJD on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on allwny.com. One, two, three... Country road, take me home to a place I belong. West Virginia, Mount take me home. Country road, fuck John Denver. Crawl I seem to do is bitch, that bitch. 
gentlemen for this game of real not real i'm simply going to name you a band and you have to tell me if they had a video game made of them or within their likeness likeness this does not count um kind of like bootleg kind of shit you find online like solely like that uh, it doesn't count pinball either because mm. i believe every rock band has had a pinball game made of them okay sounds good so it has to be a you know, no fan-made stuff is what you're saying. Exactly. So, uh, though Guns N' Roses pinball should, should count because it's amazing. All right. Uh, Nate, you go first. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Mm, no. You are incorrect. Okay. They had a game for the Commodore 64. Oh, boy. Uh, Will, Journey. Mm, I'm going to say no. Real, they had a game on the Atari 2600. Oh, my God. All right. These are all just going to be real. Yeah. <laughs> That's the trick. Nate Nickelback. No, they can't have a game. That is correct. Okay. They did not have a game. Thank They should, though. Thank God. Well, the most what, underrated band what of would our the, lifetime. What would the Nickelback game be about? It would be about uh, how everyone hates Nickelback, and you have to convince your friends and family that they're not that bad. <coughs> I think they'll have the lead singer with sidekick Guy Fieri trying to do, <laughs> reinforce that same message. Yeah. All right. Uh, Will, the Ramones. Yes. No, they have not. That actually that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I figured they seemed, would have one. Yeah, they seem like they were pretty content putting their name on fucking whatever <laughs> back in the day. All right. Nate, Aerosmith. Oh, yeah. Yes. Do you remember the game? No. There's probably multiple, isn't there? Um, the one that I have written down, at least, is called Revolution X. Mm. It is a uh, it's a it's a gun game, like an arcade gun game with two players, and uh, someone is trying to steal the music and like freedom of speech. And you're Aerosmith, and you got to come get them, and you have got a gun, and it has the little button on the side that usually fires missiles, but in Revolution X, it fires CDs, <laughs> and you shoot like little CDs to collect like yeah. all the power ups. It is it is. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't think there's a single thing on earth that there isn't an Aerosmith version of. That sounds about right. Yeah. Will, Peter Gabriel. Oh, I wish there was, but I'm going to say no. There was. Oh, really? Peter Gabriel. Nate, you're probably too young to remember this. Peter Gabriel was one of the first people who really took in um, virtual reality. So even going back into when he was making videos for like the song like Steam back in like '94, I want to say he was already getting involved with it. His game was called Peter Gabriel's Secret World, and I think it might have been for like Sega CD. Hmm. It was looked like it was, I mean, as ridiculous as you'd expect from his music videos. Yeah. All right, Nate, the Spice Girls. Real. Yes. Yep. It's called Spice World. Will the Wu Tang Clan? No. Incorrect. Really? A fighting game called Wu-Tang Clan Shaolin Style. Nice. Huh. Nate, the Rolling Stones. Real. Correct. Will, the Beatles. Correct. Thank you. Would you count Beatles rock band? That's the yes. only band that I... That's the only yeah. one I'm counting. That's, that's, that's one of the biggest gimmies we have. Right. Uh, Nate, Van Halen. Uh, yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. They had... Like... They released a Guitar Hero... And I got it for free. I used to love those games. And I got it for free with the purchase of another game. And it wasn't free. It was, it, was it was all Roth Van Halen, which I'm actually more of a Sammy guy. Send in your complaints to uh, SIRPodcastNY at Twitter. 
um, or on Twitter. God, I sound so old. Um, what about my but players? like, so you had, so all you had is like these really old Van Halen songs, and like you could choose which band member you were, but they didn't even have the original bass player. It was like Eddie Van Halen's son. And then the songs that went along with it included Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne and Rock Show by Blink-182. Like, the music made no sense with the rest of the title and was downright, downright awful. All right, Will, you got to catch up. Michael Jackson. Yes. That is real. Moonwalker on the Sega Genesis. Right. A mm. game that I would really like to try yeah, and play so I again. think it was a Wii title. It was like dance. Michael Could Jackson be. dancing. Oh, the, the Genesis sense, yeah. one was the one I, I remember. I never played that one that much. My friend always wanted to play Echo the Dolphin. I'm right. glad we're not friends anymore. All right, Bob Dylan, maybe. No. No. Really? That's absurd. Too commercial. Will, George Clinton in the Parliament Funkadelic. That sounds weird enough that it could be true. That is not real. Uh, well, uh, how good would that be, though? It would be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd play that. I'd play that in a heartbeat. Uh, Nate, The Residence. Uh, no. True. Really? Uh, they, it's called Bad Day on the Midway. I don't even know who the residents are. <laughs> well, the band has a video game. They that band that they made a video game out of. Yeah. All right, well, Elvis. Elvis has got to have a video game. No. Oh, my God. Many, many, many pinball games exist, but there is not. Right. In, there's, right. Wow. It's and there that must, should happen. I mean, there must be a ton of video games that feature Elvis or, or parodies of Elvis. But, but not, not Elvis. like an Elvis? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Prince, Nate. Uh, yeah, he's got it, right? Yes, yeah. it's called Prince Interactive. Will, David Bowie. Mm, I'm going to say yes. You are correct. And Will, you are so far behind, I'm going to give doesn't you... doesn't even matter. I'm going to let you answer the last one. Okay. Okay. What was the David Bowie game? It's called Omicron Nomad Soul. Right, classic. <laughs> it would be, yeah. Sure. Synonymous with Super Mario Brothers. Yep, right. <laughs> I, oh, I don't even know what system it's on. I didn't write that down. All right, it's well, not on any system. You made a game that's not on any system. You take enough drugs, and then you <laughs> go to Omicron Nomad Soul. All right, well, Devo. Devo, if they don't, they should, so I'm going to say yes. Correct. It's called Devo Presents Adventures of the Smart Patrol. Nice. I'm still far behind, so... Yeah, yeah, Nate yeah, wins 7-4. I think wow. a, a, the better question here... Ha, have there been any banned video games in the past, like, five years? Are they are they uh, extinct? Is this a dying genre, a dead genre? Uh, in the previous episode, I mentioned a Motorhead DLC that appeared, and that was about three or four years ago. Okay. I think, are you um, talking about actual bands? Yeah, I, I wouldn't consider DLC. No, not even, not even bands that are recent. I would okay. consider, like, Beatles Rock Band, but that was several years ago. Yeah, it was, like, 2009. Um, yeah, a decade, literally. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, why do you guys think that is? Is it just because... I think a lot of them, I mean, if you look through this list, I mean, they're not, it's not titles you remember, certainly. Like, right, just because like, they were unsuccessful. Oh man, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was such yeah. a great Commodore yeah. 64 game. I think game. a lot of them seem like they were, you know, more towards the beginning of, of video gaming, that it was like this new thing that they were just <clears> jumping on. Well, I mean, does anybody play rock band games anymore? No. No. I feel like it existed in, like, its own, like, three to five year period. I loved rock band so much. Well, yeah, but I don't think any, like, if, I think if, even if I had the system and I called up friends and was like, hey, play rock band, I don't think anyone would want to do that. (laughs) No. Because now it's all, I mean, I, I don't play video games, but I mean, Fortnite, uh, like, I. Fortnite's great if you're, like, 12. Yeah, there's kind of a single-player renaissance right now. Yeah, yeah. Games like Red Dead Redemption, Spider-Man. Which uh, I I, I like that. I just picked up Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, I'm a competitive guy, but at the same time, like, sometimes just like, I'm playing video games so I don't have to talk to people. Um, Beatles Rock Band was 2009. Britney Spears had a game in 2002. I'm looking at some recent ones. Yeah. Uh, Jack Black did Brutal Legend in 2009. Uh, Also had Ozzy Osbourne, Lita Ford, and uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. Um, Let's see if there's any others that are more, like, more recent than that. Oh, that Journey game looks fantastic, let me tell you. I feel Uh, like there's got to be some, like, K-pop or, like, J-pop artists with video games, right? They just... In that pipeline. Well, or they, they might just not be released not in the U.S. In America doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't have. I mean, like, from reading that Council Wars book, it seemed like just about everything that that video game wise that ended up being popular here 
was old news like in Japan. Oh yeah. You know, by the time it got here, but it's like, eh. I always go back and play the Sonics. I was never a big fan. Really? Not as much as Mario. They're one of my favorites. I always thought the controls felt kind of loose compared yeah, to like Mario. Yeah, uh, There are some bad ones out there, but... Oh, there's a lot of bad ones yeah, out there. Yeah, I would there. say Mario is clearly the more consistent franchise. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, Sonic, I guess I would only have like three games that I think are great. I think I don't think there's a bad Mario game, honestly. Um, there's like mediocre ones, but there's none that are like unpolished or have bad gameplay. No, even yeah. the even the Mario one where they did the um, well, like the, the RPG, Mario RPG. Like, oh, dude, that game was fucking amazing. Game, just like, Man, that might be my favorite Mario works. game. Yeah. I beat that twice when I was a kid. That was incredible. Better than, better than Mario three? Oh, not better than Mario. No, I I don't think anything is better than Mario three. I go back and play that game once every couple of years. That's pure masterwork of video games, but. Yeah. We're getting off topic. Yep. All right, so let's go back to probably the Daniel Cannon interview here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on allwny.com. Um, so uh, you mentioned a few local chiptune performers. Who, 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 are, who should we check out locally? Like, who's out there? So uh, there's a guy named uh, Anthony Swinich. He goes by Hang On, Get Ready, and he composes on the NES. He actually um, is a game composer as well. And he uh, composed specifically for a game called Shoot Shimi that was uh, pretty big on the PS4, actually. Oh, yeah, uh, I think I played that. Yeah, PewDiePie reviewed it, um, which is how you make it in the world, by the <laughs> oh, way. That's... YouTube is crazy. Sorry. Like, I know people who are gigantic on YouTube, and that is, like, a level of fame that I didn't know existed. You're sitting next to a guy who got 100,000 hits on one of his videos. Yeah. It is crazy. Like, I know people who, like are big on YouTube, and they have, like, full autograph sessions with, like, lines around the oh. hall. It is mm-hmm. nuts, though. Anyways. The dream. Yeah. I don't remember what I was talking about. Uh, some Local chiptune performance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, hang on, get ready. Um, there's another person named SB3 um, that is a chiptune performer and a visualist. So, he was at mm. MAGFest uh, doing visuals for some of the bands um, oh, that's great. as well. And... It's, uh, yeah, there's a couple people around town, but those are my two faves. Sure. We're buds. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, uh, the Glitch Video Game Band, who I don't know I'm not familiar them. with them. They do, they do a whole production where they'll come to your venue and they'll bring, like, three or four consoles and they do video game trivia and then they cover NES songs. Oh, so they make a whole night of it. It's really cool what they do. Oh, wow. That's so, really smart. Uh, yeah, they're out of Rochester, but I know they they did, I think they played Milky's a month or two ago on Elmwood. I'm really jealous. I don't have the, um, where was all in gumption to put together such a comprehensive show? That it, it is. Like, yeah. that's, that's a ton of work. Um, do you see a future in which chiptune becomes more prevalent in popular music? Uh, five years ago, I thought it was going to be the hot new thing on this planet, and that wasn't why I was doing it, but I like that seemed to be the way things that were trending. Sure. Um, it has actually died down a little bit. It does, I feel like the scene used to be a little bit more prevalent, and that had to do with, you know, there was these big websites uh, that were devoted to it that were really active with, like, tens of thousands of users. Um, they kind of went by the wayside for a bunch of reasons, either hosting issues or other things. And uh, some of the other local communities, like the ones in uh, you know, Philadelphia, L.A., Seattle, New York, like, they're still active, but they're a lot less active than they used to be. Sure. They used to be, like, we're having a showcase every month from artists around the world um, with all these, you know, festivals once a year and stuff like that. And it's gotten a little less prevalent. It's it's hard to say what will happen. Uh, I'm frequently wrong about things. And so it's uh, – I'm very uh, uh, apprehensive to sort of make a prediction. Sure. Uh, I do think it's a kind of music that, unfortunately, you've kind of – in order to appreciate it the most, you have to understand it. Uh, and not that I don't think it works on its own merits, but it's it you get the best sort of love for it when you really get what someone's doing. Sure. Um, and uh, otherwise, you know, people sometimes write it off until they hear a really banging track. Sure. And I don't know, maybe somebody just has to write that really banging track that hasn't come out yet. I don't know. Right, Nate, Chandler, you two are on that. Yeah, we we could use a new theme song, so they're going to make our banging track for right, us. There you go. Yes. Um, that's all I have. Do you guys have any questions? Do you have any new projects that you're working on, like that are in the works? I'm working on the dumbest project 
ever. Oh, that sounds like a perfect <laughs> topic for this show. Yeah. So when I went to Japan, um, I took in a bunch of music, and uh, I'm I hang out with people who are into Japanese culture, including myself a little bit. Uh, and there's this thing called Vocaloid that I found, and it's synthetic vocals using software. Um, and it they use holographic avatars to sing at the concerts. It's super wacky, um, but it's popular in Japan. I've like, heard about that. Is, there's one like virtual pop star who's who's the most famous one. Uh, Hatsune Miku. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know so, that name actually. So. Yeah. So <laughs> she's like she's big enough that she's the spokesperson for Domino's Pizza in <laughs> Japan. Oh, yeah, and it's a hologram. It's, it's, it's not like, a real person. It's not a real person. It's like Max yeah. Headroom. Holy yeah, God. and it's not even a person producing these vocals. It's not like Gorillas or something where it's a virtual band but with yeah. real musicians. No, it's it's put together through uh, tiny little samples through uh, I can't say the word conca native. There's a word that I can't say that it is. It's a type of synthesis where you combine tiny little samples together. Um, there's a Meshuggah song called that word that I can't say. So feel free to look that up later. Anyways. Um, we'll, we'll put that in the episode notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never learned how to say it. I know what it is when I see it in print. Um, That's the same way I feel about Chandler's last name. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so I've been working with that software um, to sort of create synthetic vocals. And I think it would be really interesting. And people in America have very, in a very small amount, like seen anything like that. It's Most people haven't even heard of it. Uh, what I ran into is... Uh, Japanese language has half as many vocal sounds as the American language, yeah. or English as the American language. Yeah, um, we speak American on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, <laughs> I speak American. Yeah. Um, yeah, we use a lot less of those sounds than English. Yeah, so Jap- <laughs> uh, Japanese has <laughs> half as many vocal sounds as English. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, the I, E, A, U, you know, K, K, Ra, Ra, La, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and because... Vocaloid isn't very popular in English-speaking countries. They don't support it very well. Ah. And so I found that the English singers don't sound very good because you actually buy a singer. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, so each 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 singer you buy sounds a little different and does sounds a little differently. Uh, Hatsune Miku, I have her latest English version, and it is just garbage. <laughs> it's just there's no way to make it sound good at all um, because there's lots of, like, uh, processing happening to make it work at all, and lots of uh, weird predictive, like autocorrect type things happening, mm-hmm. like combining notes together, and it frequently gets things wrong. Um, and I find that it's difficult to have the level of control or get the program to do exactly what I want it to do. Uh, they just released a new version called Vocaloid 5 um, that has a new singer, and I've been playing with that, and it's a little bit better, but what I've been running into is I don't know if I can make it sound as good as I need it to sound. Um, because I want it to sound like as good as a regular singer, but better. Yeah. In that, like, in the fifth element, in order to create a future alien singer, they took human vocals and then digitally manipulated them to be like, oh, what's the best singer in the galaxy sound like? They could do all these things that people can't do. I can do that in software, except it doesn't sound as convincing mm-hmm. yet. Um, and so I'm a little worried that I'm up against the limitations of what the software can do. Mm-hmm. And it, I might not be able to get there, but I'm working on it. I have, yeah. I have a year of practice into yeah. this. Um, and it's not quite where I want it yet. But in additionally, I was, I've been studying like holographic technology and motion capture of like 3D models and editing uh, 3D motion captures to you know, eliminate glitches and stuff like that. Like just tons of crazy technologies that some of the game industry stuff actually helps out with, and I actually have friends with motion capture studios that I can use and That's cool. things like that. Um, so the idea is I want to put on a fully holographic uh, show with an avatar that's my own creator, that I, my own character that I created, and Ooh. I don't know if it's going to work Yeah, because it doesn't sound good enough yet. And I can put together a show that people would be like, whoa, that show is amazing. I've never seen anything like that. However, I want them to be able to buy the album and listen to it without them being like, yeah, you kind of have to get you over You got to be there. Yeah, yeah you got to be there. The vocals are a little wonky sounding. Yeah. And right now, I, I have them sounding like passable human singer. Oh, yeah. But it's not an evocative yeah. sort of like when you hear a singer and you're like, yeah. Right. It's, what is the benefit to 
To Are you asking what the benefit is to not having to deal with a singer? No, the, <laughs> of, of trying to make a digital singer sound human rather than starting with a human voice and trying to make it sound digital. Mm. Like some of the real, I mean, pop music in general, but then some people, like, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, PC music at all. Um, um, so, I've, I've heard of them. Uh, and they're, that's kind of the approach they take, where they take, right. like, you know, just a normal female singer, but, like, just fuck up the vocal so much that it sounds like a future robot. Yeah, but you still have to deal with a human. Right, so that's the that's the benefit. I'm just saying. Well, no, there's that's probably the best way to go to make music. Yeah, but I am choosing this way because it does have a strange quality to it. Like even musically, you make different decisions. Okay, um, if depending on the interface, if I have a singer in front of me and I tell them, "Hey, do, sing these notes." They're going to sing them and add their own inflections in their own way. If I have to do it in software with a mouse and whatever, different musical ideas will come out. Um, and if you change your interface, you change the output. And I think that way is totally valid and awesome and probably better than the one that I'm currently working on. Um, yeah. But I think the, the software I'm working with is provocative enough that if I can get it to do what I want it to do, it would be really interesting. It has been harder than I wanted it to be, right. though. But you like the challenge, as you said earlier. I do like the challenge, and I've been learning about all these different technologies. You know, I've been learning about holograms and all projections, and I had to study linguistics a little bit oh, to yeah, learn yeah. what the phonemes were. And I have a whole language that I type in um, that you have to come up with the different sounds. They created a whole different language. Uh, for you to type in each individual vocal sound, because you know, in we we have tons of um, homophones in English, yeah. you know, like that sound the same but they're spell or sound different but they're spelled the same. And if you type in a word, it doesn't know which one if it's uh, mm. you know um, read or yeah. read. So is it almost yeah. like there we go. it's almost like spelling it phonetically? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. But um, so in English, you look in the dictionary, they have the phonetic spelling, but they're like all these strange characters, right? Well, I don't know how to type those characters. I don't have to go in, I'd have to go into character like, mode. Alt 2684. Exactly. So they came up with their own thing. So the, like the A sound is actually like lowercase a capital I. Um, okay. And that's yeah. A. And so I have this whole language that I learned on how to phonetically um, spell these words. And it actually makes me analyze regular singing and vocal like construction on like how words and diphthongs you know come together and uh it's super strange and i'm a big nerd and i'm into it but it hasn't been going well if you got that hologram technology to work real good you could cut down your touring costs even more and not even have to go yeah you don't have to show you up just no no somebody has to set it up and hit play oh. and, stuff like that. and so what i really want to do this is the other hard part is i have to work with some programmers is i want the show to not be on rails because that's the thing what happens is uh, it's just this pre yeah. predetermined sequence of like this happens then this happens and it's essentially playing back a recording mm -hmm. what I want to do is have the um, hologram sort of ask the audience questions or or pretend to interact with them and have decision trees oh, wow. where I'm controlling in the background you know like oh is this you know is this what they say and I also want to have you know her like sort of say like, oh, this is what city we're in, you know, I will yeah, swap yeah. out a couple words yeah. here and there. Because I think what would be fun is uh, to have them actually fake interact with you. Like, if you've ever been to Disney World, I went to Disney World recently, and uh, they've got Star Wars ride. Mm -hmm. And when I'm waiting in line, there's C-3PO, the animatronic C-3PO, and he pretends to be talking to me. And I know it's fake, but it's super cool. Yeah. And it's really immersive, and I'm like, oh my god, C-3PO's talking to me. And... I want to create C-3PO talking to me the concert. So I don't know if I can do it. The technology is really daunting, and uh, it might not happen, and I might have to say, eh, just keep playing chiptunes, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I think that's the next wave of kind of inter interaction we see with audiences. Yeah, I hope so. And the technology today is amazing. Like, you can come up with your own light show and trigger it all from your laptop that's also triggering your backing tracks and this is all technology that is super affordable and anyone can learn how to do it i know people who do it and all this stuff wasn't available 10 years ago yeah 
Cool. Yeah. Well, Dan, uh, anyone else? Any shout outs? Anything? Uh, It'll be uh, before this airs. Um, I don't think I have anything coming up, actually, um, right. that's booked that far in the future. Cool. So. We'll pop something in the episode notes if anything comes up. Sweet, though. sweet. Awesome. Well, Dan, Dan McCannon, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a lot I of I didn't great talk about Buffalo very much, but that's okay, right? I mean, we can make this a three-parter if you want to. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks a lot, Dan. And we will be back here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on allwny.com. Sweet. This is Alec from Ghost Pool, and you're listening to allwny.com. Yeah. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, did you happen to go back in time? Because I feel like there's an upcoming show that maybe you and I have already gone to. Well, what's new about it? Well, okay, so at Mohawk Place, uh, Green Jello uh-huh. and Friends of the Podcast, Lazy Ass Destroyer, yes. are playing again. This is actually really interesting. Uh, the folks from Green Jello, I, I always blank on the, the names of the people involved uh, with Green Jello because there's a few of them. Um, but uh, they're actually, he's moving to Europe for a while. So this is going to be, I believe, their last Buffalo performance for quite some time. And who is moving? Um, I don't. I know there's Bill Manspeaker, Bill Manspeaker, and Mike Snyder, and I don't know which one of the guys. I mean, at this point, Green Jello is pretty much one guy, right. and the, the people he puts around him. And I, I'm honestly, I don't know off the top of my head which one of those two it is. All right. But uh, they're going to be gone for a while, so this is this will be your last time to catch them for a while. Uh, they're playing with a bunch of bands I've never heard of, including Billy Youngblood and the Smoking Gorillas, mm-hmm. the Waves, uh, the Surfing Cadavers. They're also playing with friend of the podcast Greg Burt's band Digital Afterlife and Virus X which is a cool local punk band I'm actually into I feel like I've heard of the Surfing Cadavers before but I don't know why I would have heard of them it sounds like it's probably Psycho Billy is all I can picture and that's cool if it is I I dig that so I might try and get out for that I still haven't actually seen Green Jello we went there to interview them and I I didn't get to actually see them right because we were so busy with Lazy Ass Destroyer trying to figure out if they were Lazy Ass Destroyers or if they were a Lazy Ass Destroyer and they just said that they destroy all asses. So all just they, they destroy lazy asses. They don't like lazy people. Lazy is kind of the okay. So so that's that so if you're a lazy solved. ass, he's going to destroy you. Right. And so don't dancing. attend that show. <laughs> yeah, if you're lazy, don't come yeah. to the show. But if you're lazy, you're probably already not coming. Probably to the not show. already coming to the show. Uh, on March 12th at Babeville, we have Lucy Dacus, Mel Blum, and Fen Lily. This is a great show full of uh, female singer songwriters. Um, they all have really nice voices. They all kind of sound a little different. Uh, one of them, I, I'm blanking on the names now. I was going to listen on the way here, but um, time. Uh, but like they, they all have, like one of them kind of sounded like Jenny Lewis, and one of them kind of sounded like Florence Welsh. And um, yeah, I think I'm actually going to, I don't often like spend big ticket money on like a, a big vocal concert for bands I've never seen, but uh, they're all excellent. And I'm, uh, I'm considering going to check that out. <clears throat> On March 16th, at Stamps, we got a big show. It's our local reggae band, Unite the People. Uh, Days Ago, who is another local reggae band. Rap and Destroy, a local hip-hop group. Three Green, a local punk band. Uh, Mad Dukes, who's performing with Spark Matic uh, and Kennedy Carpool. Um, I love Days Ago. Uh, I was just actually listening to some Mad Dukes today. He's really good. Unite the People's really cool. Rap and Destroy is really... Like, it's a great bill. So if you can get a chance to go out in Stamps to see that, it's a really solid lineup. And then finally, on March 22nd, at Mohawk Place, I am throwing a fundraiser, and it is the most Ryan Grinnett fundraiser possible, because it has the Scarecrow Show, Passed Out, and Shannon Vanderlyn, in addition to the Baby Machines, Grace Stumberg, Disraeli, and Kelly Vellucci. So that's going to be an awesome show. It's only five bucks. It's support, it is to support Buffalo Infringement Festival. We've got real cool merch. So, you know, even if you can't stay all night, come out, check out a few bands. I am, this, like, is the best show I've ever put on to date, is this one on March 22nd. So. Right. Yeah, it seems like a good lineup for sure. So check that out, and uh, we're going to play you a track from Days Ago. Uh, this is called Scratched Up, Bruised, and Bleeding by Days Ago, here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on allwny.com. Barely beating. 
years go by, I'm stuck in a rut, I'm falling, now I can't get back all the life's a blur, I do infer, it's up to you if you concur that. Sometimes life's great, and sometimes it sucks, but you have to have the courage to be tough, as long as you're still breathing, and have something worth believing, you're gonna have to take a beating, you'll leave scratched up, bruised and bleeding. Scratched up, bruised and bleeding Facebook, and you can check out his amazing work in the indie game, Just Shapes and Beats. You can check out All WNY at AllWNY.com or by downloading the All WNY app. There you can find the local music stream and its family podcasts, including The Skeleton Closet with Carl Winslow, Corey Commons, The Nick and Dan Show, The Think So Joe Podcast, hosted by Karina DeFabio and four Jaden Smiths, combining their forces to create a very large Will Smith. Yes, and our favorite podcast, the Big Picture with Michael Sargent, where you can learn how to properly frame your next photo session and that a cardboard homestead might be just what the lower class needs. You can find us at facebook.com backslash the struggle is real podcast. We're on Twitter at SIR Podcast NY. And you can also reach out to me on Twitter at Sir William Idol. Uh, that's all for us. 
Uh, being a musician is chaos, so please be kind to one another. See you next time. Keep struggling. <laughs>